All right, so, you know, I want to talk about uh, the calling, the calling. A few things that I want to go over as we go into these verses. You know, each and every one of us are called to respond to the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are called into obedience to the word of God that we may know life in Christ and that more abundantly. Uh, By the way, if you go through the New Testament, that phrase, called into obedience of Christ, is seen over and over. We are called to repentance, to turn away from sin and to have a changed mind and heart that is for Christ. We are called to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. We are called to salvation because God wishes that none should perish because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, not excluding anyone, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And God foreknew who would respond in the affirmative to Jesus Christ. We'll be going over, and this is what I I hope for this morning, is that we gain a deeper, clearer understanding of foreknowledge, predestination, and what we're called to. Because that is of great importance. That's something that we ought to know. And so we'll be going over what it means to be called by God, and who God called, and what God has called us to. As I said, God's desire is that none should perish, and that in Christ the Father's desire is that we be transformed, conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, and that we actively serve him. By fulfilling the good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them according to Ephesians 2.10. And his good works, how are they known? Quite simply, it's known when we read the word of God. As we read the word, we begin to understand what good works actually are. And so his good works are known as we read and understand his word, the very object that we hold in our hands, whether it be on your phone, on an app, or the book itself, the word of God. We are called to fulfill his plan and purpose. What is, number one, the first thing that ought to be taken care of? That is salvation. Salvation. Knowing his grace by his son. And number two, fellowship. As we know salvation, we know fellowship, knowing him in relationship. And number three, sanctification, allowing him to work his character into us, maturing you in Christ. I don't know about you, but when I first came to Christ, I was excited. I knew that I was forgiven. I knew I was saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But at that very moment, I had a long way to go and still do. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he considered himself the chief of all sinners. Why? Because as we get closer to the Lord, as we draw near to him, we realize 
how sinful we are. We know our own hearts. And as the Lord exposes those hearts of ours, we realize more and more the depth of his grace. And we with Paul can also say, oh, I am the chief of all sinners. That's why that work of sanctification is so important, that we subject ourselves, that we yield to the authority of God's word day in and day out. It's a process of becoming more Christ-like. A person who understands and receives God's free gift of salvation perseveres through sufferings also. We learn to do that. It's not something that just happens overnight. Oh, you're saved. Now you're going to persevere through all the sufferings and trials, the hard times that you are faced with. That's not how it happens. Just imagine a little baby being born. Oh, you've been born. (laughs) So now you're equipped and capable of facing all of life's difficulties. Wouldn't that be silly to to make that statement? It's, It's silly also to think that a baby Christian is equipped with everything that they actually need to endure and persevere through trials and sufferings. And so we learn. We're here this morning because we want to grow in the Lord. We want to mature. We want to know what blesses and glorifies the Lord. What we do have at our disposal in Christ and how to handle those truths and those promises to God's glory and for our blessing. And so, again, a person who understands and receives God's free gift of salvation perseveres through sufferings with the hope of glory, relies on the Holy Spirit because he knows the mind of Christ, that is, the Holy Spirit knows the mind of Christ and intercedes for us according to, not your will, but the will of God, and lives, a person who loves the Lord and knows salvation also lives confidently in the, in the love of Christ, knowing that God is good and perfect, holy and righteous. So three things, just to highlight what we're going over. Number one, the hope of glory, the help of the Spirit, and the purpose and fulfillment of God's call. We're going to first go over the hope of glory, verse 18 through 25. Uh, In verse 18, this points to suffering and how to persevere. So it regards suffering Secondly, in verses 19 through 22, uh, we see that hope and how creation responds to that hope and that longing for glory. And thirdly, that very thing in the life of believers and the fulfillment of God's promises in verses 23 through 25. So genuine hope in God's promises will cause personal responses. Let me say that again. A genuine a sincere hope in God's promises will cause, will be the very root cause of personal responses that are evident in all aspects of life that reflect faith in those promises. In other words, there's got to be fruit. There's got to be some evidence that a person actually believes that there is genuine hope in God's promises. That transcends any difficulties, sufferings, and trials that we may be experiencing. You know, in Hebrews 11.1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so we begin with the end in mind. 
that is a glorified body and a perfect environment, no decay, no breakdown. Have you heard of that? One day, there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. One day, there will be a new earth and new heavens. When we come to that, into that relationship with the Father through the Son, we begin to realize these things and the truths of God's Word, these promises that are, that are given to us. And so it's in that moment that we begin with the end in mind. So this is what awaits us. And because of the glory that will be revealed to us and in us, the sufferings that we currently experience aren't even worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. That's what we read here. Are you going through anything that is difficult right now? Any hardships? Any trials? Any sufferings? Persecution? Are you going through any of that? Because this is something for you to incline your ear to. Open your heart to. And know that you too can be encouraged at this very moment because of the hope that we know in Jesus Christ. And we can endure. We can, we can persevere. We continue, can continue to advance. They're not even worth, the Apostle Paul is saying, they're not even worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. Wait. They almost don't even matter. In light of eternity, glory, obtaining the prize. Listen, suffering is temporal. Suffering is temporary. It's here one moment and gone the next. How many things, if you look back, how many things that you thought in the midst of it, I don't know, you may have said this before. I don't know if I can make it through this. And then you look back and you think, I made it through. Suffering is temporary. It has a beginning and it has an end. But glory, it is eternal. There is no end. Suffering is knowing corruption. Glory is knowing incorruption. And God has sealed the believer with the Holy Spirit and glory awaits. And because of this truth, the follower of Christ perseveres through trials because of the glory that awaits us and is considered in the midst of sufferings. It's not ignored. It's something really that doesn't even take us out of the sufferings. It helps us through the sufferings. I don't know how many times previously I, I had prayed, oh, remove this trial from me, remove me from the, the midst of this uh, difficulty. This is like, this is too hard. But we get to a point to where we realize God is doing a work in the midst of it. And we start praying differently. Oh God, be my strength through this trial. Help me persevere through this suffering. Help me endure, not by sitting passively, but advancing through it to your glory. Because as we understand this truth and we apply it in our own lives, 
knowing that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit and glory awaits, we can actually advance. We can come out better on the other side of trials and tribulation of sufferings. And we can make it through because of the glory that awaits us. It's through that difficulty that we can see what awaits us. We can see what it is that the Lord is doing in our own lives to bring him glory, to reflect his character a little bit more in and through our lives. To consider God above all is this. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, there was something for Paul that he acknowledged would be a source of conceit. It would actually, <clears throat> the possibility, the potential there was that it would create pride in his own life. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for, for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, what a powerful statement that is. You see, for the Apostle Paul, as it was with Joseph, they knew that even those things are working out in their own lives something that far exceeds what they think would be their plan, but it's God's plan. It's God's will, not their plan. It's God's thoughts, not their thoughts. And God is working something out. And in the midst of those trials and sufferings and persecutions, in all of that, God is showing himself strong on their behalf. He desires to do the same for you. Genuine hope in God's promises causes responses in creation. Man's sin brought about corruption to the earth, and this is what we see here back in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. It's a response. Even creation has responded to the hope that, of redemption that God has promised. Man's sin brought about corruption to the earth and will one day enjoy complete redemption. It is seen in Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, it says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together. And the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand 
on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Can you imagine that? I remember years ago being out camping at a lake and my family and, and I, we were all taking a walk around the lake and we came to this one section which was um, thickly wooded and there was this large rock and my uncle went and stood on it and he was up there for some time just admiring everything and we started to walk away, you know, just to continue the walk around the lake and he realized that he couldn't get down. You see underneath the rock, the, the rock was, was a den of rattlesnakes. And they started to come out. And so it's like, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Enjoy your time on the rock. We'll throw you some food later. right? But it, it took him some time, and, and he found a little way to, to get past the snakes. But there, there were tons of snakes coming out. Can you imagine that? It was, it was horrifying, but... There will come a day when there will be no fear whatsoever. When we can walk among the snakes, cobras, our little kids, there will be no danger whatsoever. A new heaven and a new earth. Creation knows the promises of God. And knowing the promise of this redemption, the earth groans, to be set free from the bondage of corruption and know the glory that will be known by the children of God. We also see a genuine hope in God's promises and know that it causes responses in believers. It should cause a, a, some, some kind of a response with you and me. If you have someone that says, I believe in God and yet you see no change whatsoever, is that a a belief that has led to salvation, a, a surrender, knowing that Jesus is not only their Savior, but their Lord? Or is it just a belief in? Because even the demons believe and tremble. Keep that in mind. Just as creation doesn't groan to be destroyed, but to be set free from corruption, those who are saved and in Christ do not groan because they will be naked, but rather further clothed with incorruption. So for that, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to go to verse 50, 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be further clothed. Uh, glorified bodies. I, I have no idea what that w- will look like, but I just know that these aches and pains, as you grow gold, how many of you are under the age of 20? No, you're not. <laughs> I wish I was under 20. Yeah. No, do you, so everyone else, you remember what it was to be under 20? Yeah. You had no thought, right? It was like, feel strong, and I'm able to do anything, right? But we know these, these tents are breaking down. You know, it gets pretty bad when <clears throat> you drop something and you go to pick it up and you look for other things while you're down there because you don't want to make the trip again, right? It's like, how many other things can I pick up while I'm down here? And then <clears throat> the first time, guys, you grunt when you go to tie your shoe. <laughs> you kind of creak or pop as you're going up the stairs or down the stairs. No, there's going to be a day to where all that imperfection, the corruption, will be done away with. That's reality. That's truth. See, we have to look beyond our present circumstances. We need to look beyond to the glory that awaits us. That's what gets us through the difficult moments and seasons of our lives. The fullness of our adoption as God's children has not yet been realized. One day we will receive our glorified bodies in glory, and the fullness of our adoption will be fully known. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, if you're still in 1 Corinthians 15, you can just hop over, it should be one page over, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. It says this, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and, ha- and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. If you turn with me a few pages to Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 13. Paul writes in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Do you have that sincere hope? Do you have your eyes fixed on that? We ought to. It'll be our strength. It'll serve us in the day in which we are in, and we can advance through these trials, persecutions, and sufferings. This hope causes us to long for the fullness of redemption, and it causes us to persevere, knowing that this corruption will one day be no more, and we will one day know the fullness of God's glory. This causes us to advance in the midst of sufferings, in the midst of trials. This causes us to focus on the prize 
When the flesh, the world, and Satan are shooting fiery darts at us to destroy us and take us off mission. To detract us from the goal that is before us. To confuse us. To cause us to doubt. To worry. To be filled with anxiety. In Christ, we have the hope of glory that we long for. And this helps us through trials and sufferings. And we know we have the helper who intercedes for us perfectly as we go into the next couple verses. So the hope of glory and we have the help of the Spirit. Verse 26, as we go back to Romans chapter 8. Verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The help of the Spirit. I think sometimes we, we believe as far as it being uh, aligned with God's word, we, we know what to pray for. But we don't know the mind of God perfectly as the Spirit does. And so we are in desperate need of the help of the Spirit. You know, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, there was a word that was given to Peter and the other disciples as they were in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. Jesus said to them, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we need to acknowledge, hey, the flesh is weak. How is it that we may be vigilant, be sober-minded, be watchful? It's when we're in prayer. When we're in prayer, that's a time when we're focused on the Lord and we can be most watchful, be vigilant, and not allow the flesh to take that preeminent position in our lives because the flesh is weak. The Spirit is willing, and Jesus knew this, and he was telling them, you need to watch and pray that you may not even enter into temptation. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You see, God searches the heart of man and knows it. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of Christ and will intercede on your behalf according to the perfect will of God. Hebrews chapter 4 as this to say in verse 11. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 said, let us, says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You know, for the person who is completely yielded to the Lord, for the person who simply desires to bless and glorify the Lord, this is good. Why? Because we understand the work of sanctification. We understand that as as we come under the light of God's word, 
It exposes things in our lives, in our very hearts, the, in, the intentions of our hearts, the thoughts of our minds. And as that's revealed, we're given the opportunity to repent of those things, to turn away from them, and, and to come into alignment with God's will, His, His Word. That's what it gives us an opportunity to do. But to those who are in the world or in the flesh, this is not good news. Because what happens as you come to church and things, you begin to hear the word spoken and, and, and the spirit begins to convict you. He starts revealing things to you that you actually love. Your sin, those things that you cling to, the things that you believe you're duped into believing will bring you satisfaction and contentment. It exposes it. And so when, when the word of God exposes those things, you want to run. So you have two choices. You either yield to the Lord and respond well to that conviction by confessing those sins and repenting of that and turning toward God, or you run. You remain in your pride, you remain condemned in your sin, and you go participate even more so. This is what the Word of God does, and it's a good thing. When we pray, we are focusing on God. We're focusing on His Word, if we know His Word and His Spirit. We are not giving place to the flesh, but to the Spirit of God. Therefore, yield to Him and receive the help He gives us as He intercedes on our behalf. He has our best interest at heart. As the Spirit leads us, we ought to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But this requires humility. It requires a reverence for God, an expression of our love for God. And that's what that is. We are not left alone. We're not left as orphans to figure things out on our own. But God is helping us by the very Spirit that He sealed us with, serves as our guarantee, and leads us in all truth. As we grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's Word, the Spirit will lead us in all truth, and then intercede for us. So he'll lead us into truth, and then he'll intercede for us in all truth when we in our weakness, in our flesh, don't know what to pray for. Have you ever come to a place to where I, I don't know what to pray for? I have. I've been there often. I, I'm there daily. I, I, can, I can pray, and yet I fall short every time. But you can rely on the Spirit to intercede on your behalf. Because He searches your heart. And He intercedes on your behalf. The Spirit searches our hearts, the very seat of our emotions, the very origin of our intentions, our motives, and He intercedes for us. Would the Spirit's prayer for you be different than the prayers you're currently engaging in? knowing your heart and the will of God for you? Would it be any different? Know God's word because you will be able to discern those things. In prayer, when you're praying, is that really what God's will is? Or is the spirit praying on your behalf something different?
In Christ, we have the hope of glory and the help of the Spirit. Yield to him. Receive it. And thirdly, the purpose and fulfillment of God's call. Verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, uh, what we need, though, in all of this is a biblical understanding with a biblical definition of love in order to fully grasp what verse 28 is saying and how it applies to us. Some questions before, as we go into this, do you love God? If you were to answer that question, what would you say? Do you love God? The follow-up question to that is, how do you know? And do you have any evidence of your love for him? Right? Because we, we can say, we would probably all say, yes, we love God. Yes, absolutely. And then when you're asked, well, how do you know? I just, I feel it. I have like an emotional experience. How do you know? And what's the evidence of your love for him? You know, Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The end of the matter... All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And as we fast forward to the New Testament in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus, the Son of God, said this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So again, the question is, do you love God? How do you know? And what's the evidence? Listen, I know that we go through ups and downs. I know that. We go through trials. We go through sufferings. We we go through all of that. There's not one person that does not go through something that is difficult. Not one. But through all of that, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Power, love, and self-control. That means we, we, we are commanded, we have the responsibility, and we will be held accountable. At some point, we will have to answer for what we say and what we do. The word tells us, faith without works is dead. We are known by our works. Works doesn't save us. That's why, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. In other words, it's a demonstration of who you really are. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. 
It's necessary to explain this because much of the time we go by or live according to feelings. That's what the world is telling us to do so. Like, you got to feel happiness. You got to emotionally be secure and whole. That's what the world is just pouring down and shoving down our throats. This is what we ought to live like. But the biblical love is described in a different way. The love we have for God is not proven or known by outward, undisciplined, and unfiltered emotional expressions, but rather an indwelling of the Spirit. His leading and the evidence is our obedience to the Word of God, regardless of how we feel or what we are suffering through even at the moment. Not that God disregards our suffering. Not that God doesn't care about our tears or our pain. But what he tells us is that even through those times, we can persevere. We can make it through. Just lean on him, cling to him, hold on to him, believe in him, believe in his promises. Then if you love love God in this way, then you will understand that God is sovereign. And he works things out for good, regardless of what you're going through. He has a plan. He hasn't deviated from his plan. He has a plan. It is the plan. And he's working it out in and through your life. If you know this, then then you can actually read and believe James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I know that's in ESV. I memorized it in New King James Version. So, It's believed. Why? Because you understand the purpose of trials. You understand that it's, it's building you up. These trials are building you up, purifying you. Maturing you in Christ and serve to produce more fruit that reflects Christ in you. You know, John 15, 2 says, And to every branch that does bear fruit, this, this is what God does. You know, um, those of you who like to garden, what do you do um, with your rose bushes? Do you just let them grow wild? Pretty healthy like that. No, that you don't. When they produce, how do they produce even more? That requires... Snip, snip, cutting, right? right? Prune, you prune them. You prune a, a, a certain fruit trees a certain way. John 15, 2, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. More fruit. Evidence of this is known throughout the Bible. Joseph, Esther, Jonah, the, all the prophets, the apostles, and Jesus' disciples, which includes you and me. In Christ, we're called according to his purpose. God's purpose is his will. Let's know by his word what his will is, according to Romans 12, 2, which says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in other words, by knowing the word of God, your mind is transformed, so you start thinking differently to where... When something presents itself to you, you may discern if that is the perfect and good will of God, according to his word. You may be able to do that. Now, 
Let's go on from there to verse 29, because this is, what's important here, verse 29, is the order. The order. Let's read it once. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Number one, those whom he foreknew means that God is omniscient. Knowing all, past, present, and future, we cannot comprehend that. We, we, can, we cannot understand that. I know it's been explained. It's like, you know, going up on the, uh, the blimp and seeing the beginning of the parade and the end of the parade and everything in between, but you don't see everything happening at the same time. In other words, uh, that illustration falls short because you don't know what's going to happen at the end, even though you can see it all. Understand what I'm saying? Like, you see it all as if it already happened. That's God. He knows the past, present, and future. God knew, he knows, and he will know. He, he knows, he knew, and he also knows not only the present, but the future itself. And he knows exactly who will respond to his offer of grace and forgiveness because he has that omniscience. Secondly, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, the words after that are very important. What did he predestine us to? Can we read it together? He also, so whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He foreknew and he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The predestination that is referred to here is the work of sanctification. That our character reflect God's holy character and we reflect his glory, Christ being preeminent. Again, the order is extremely important. You start twisting those around and, you know, you're forced into Calvinism. That's not what we believe here. Verse 30 speaks of God's faithfulness. And those whom he predestined, he also called. We also know that he foreknew, and he predestined. We know why. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This verse speaks of God's faithfulness. You know, Philippians 1.6, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. Because he was the same author, he was used as the instruments through whom God wrote not only Romans, but also Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so it speaks of God's faithfulness through and through. Whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's why I started this morning with what were we called to? And I listed a, a few, right? About five or so. What were we called to? Go back and you can look through those. Now we need to note that God desires that we all receive the gift of salvation. But not all respond to his love and grace. Not all respond favorably to his offer of salvation. Just as a person is chosen, a person can also reject and refuse to come into that relationship. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called chosen. 
it would be called being taken, laid hold of, imposed upon, captured, occupied, overtaken, and that's not what God does. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the offer of God's grace. It wouldn't even be called a gift. He offers us salvation and we express our love for him. Our acknowledgement of his grace and desire to know it by believing, by expressing our faith in his offer, and Jesus then becomes our hope and purpose in life. That's why for, for those, if you experience a lack of hope, uh, of purpose in life, perhaps it's because you have not placed your, your trust completely in Jesus Christ. There's something that's lacking there. You know, our relationship with Jesus is described as that between groom and bride, according to Ephesians 5, through 33, Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 9, Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, and others. And when you decided that you had chosen a person to be your future spouse, you made yourself vulnerable because who you chose to be your future spouse could have rejected your decision and desire and personally not chosen to be your future spouse. But if you had foreknowledge of who would choose you back, how would that go? But we, we don't. You can say what if, but we don't. For God, it isn't that he only picked to save some and condemn others. Because remember, he wishes that none should perish. For God so loved the world. His, his offers to everyone. He didn't pick to save some and condemn others. But the fact is that he has the foreknowledge to know who will respond to his offer of salvation and who will not. I know that's baffling, but it's true. The hope of glory, the help of the Spirit, the purpose and fulfillment of God's call, it should cause a response within you and I. Do you have the hope of glory? Do you have the help of the Spirit, and do you know the purpose of God? Because he desires that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Have you yielded your life to Jesus Christ? Do you know him as Savior and as Lord? Because that second portion, and as Lord, is evidence that he is truly your Savior. Looking beyond any present difficulties and to the glory that is promised in Christ, as we're in Christ, know that he is your strength. And that glory that awaits you, that should get you through those sufferings and those trials. All glory be to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, it is clear that you are faithful, that you love us with an everlasting love, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that our hope is squarely and securely in you. You have sealed us with your Holy Spirit as we have yielded to you and and surrendered our lives to you, knowing that we have gained eternal life, and one day we will know glory in the fullness of glory, Lord, and, and that hope fulfilled one day. May we walk in your promises securely and yet humbly, faithfully, for you are trustworthy and you are praiseworthy. So we just give you all honor and all praise. For you have all 
We have all been called according to your purpose. May we respond to the gift of salvation, forgiveness of our sins, and then walk in the newness of life, maturing and growing and gaining strength in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.